Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the second of our short two-part series on Christianity and racism. The title of this series is taken from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And we hope as we talk and pray and work together that we can push back the boundaries of racism as the kingdom comes into our lives and comes through us to influence people around us, starting in the church and then spilling beyond. We hope that more and more healing can come to more and more people, more and more justice can come to more and more people. But where that begins is by listening and understanding. And speaking for myself and many people I know like me who I've talked to, the more we can learn how to listen well and learn better how to understand the experiences of people that we don't relate to, that are not our experiences of of racism, at least in my context, then the better we can be an ally and a help in making a difference to people in our churches and, and beyond. So that's the purpose of these two interviews last week with Tony and this week I'm delighted to say with Jack and Sarah Meisinger. Uh, They are currently members of our congregation up in Birmingham. Uh, I've known Sarah all her life. I've known her mother for many long years before she was even born. Jack I've got to know more recently and they are they provide some very interesting perspectives. Jack is white North American uh, Sarah is mixed race, black and white, her parents are black and white, uh, uh, from the UK. And they've been married not all that long. And they have uh, their first child was born just about three months ago. And in fact, baby Leon makes an appearance uh, in this interview. So I hope that you benefit and learn a lot from what you hear. And at the very least, it'll provide a stimulus for our own discussion so that we can learn better how to listen and to understand. So without further ado, let me turn you over to Jack and Sarah. Uh, so th- the first thing I was wondering about is what kind of vision you have. You know, what kind of vision do you have for racial, har- racial harmony, racial unity within the church, especially, I suppose, because that's where we can begin things and maybe beyond. But do you have a sense in yourself of where you think this could go that would be healthier than it is at the moment. Um, is there some kind of vision in your own mind? Yeah, I think um, I think the uh, vision that I have is that there would be more conversation about it. I think um, from my conversations with friends and um, in the church, they feel like they can't bring some of their friends to church because the the issue which is at the forefront of many of their friends' minds is not discussed, you know, kind of the evil that the the world is aware of and is constantly having conversations about, you know, the church talks little about. So for their friends who feel strongly that this is an issue that needs to be addressed, and then for them to come to church and hear complete silence on it, Mm -hmm. and not only, you know, feel deeply that this needs to be addressed, but also experiencing it, for them to hear silence on that topic that's so deeply personal and you know even you know globally con it, 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 there's a global consciousness too for them to not hear anything when they come to church regarding it it gives a sense that jesus doesn't care you know that this isn't something jesus cares about like these real world issues these real world real, real world problems 
if we can't connect with them at that base level, then how would we be able to lead and guide them to, to the to the what what we perceive as the underlying problems, their their deeper issues? If we can't help them navigate those initial questions that they have about life and the world and their pain and their experience, then how would why would they trust us to shepherd them further? Um, so I think. Uh, a more open dialogue that would welcome people in that would have answers for the world. Uh, you know, I think that would be a great place to start. Um, but generally more um, communication and, and understanding, I think in the church. So something more like it's, it's part of a normal thing. When we talk about racism, it's a normal conversation to have not always an easy conversation to have, but it's the sort of thing we talk about. Like if we talk about prayer and we talk about our Bible and we talk about whatever else, we'd also be talking about uh, racial reconciliation issues or understanding as sort of part of the fabric. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, you, if you said in a list, and oftentimes as a former minister, I would have a list of practicals and one of them would probably be, you know, we need to apply this to, uh, to, to our efforts at racial equity or something like that. And not for that to be a flag in some of the members' minds, but kind of an accepted thing. Like, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. You know, for us to all be on the same page with that. Right. I think so this is, it, it can be a political issue, but if it was repositioned as a, you know, the uh, personal issue and something that we're all working on and you know maybe we're more used to talking about individual sins and we stay in that area but even if and this might be a little bit um bigger picture but if we start to talk about some of these bigger more corporate uh more um those types of cultural sins i think then we might be able to address even more things, be able to repent in, in a broader sense and, and conform more to, I think, the vision that Christ has for his church to bring. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a bit like I'm preaching on Acts 2 this coming week, the uh, 42 to 47 passage on the church. I want to sort of reboot the people's thinking about church as we go back into physically meeting together, which we haven't done yet. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm talking about that passage, one of the things I should be thinking about perhaps is in what way does this apply to right. issues of racism amongst yeah. perhaps other issues, but it, that's got to be sort of a, almost like, a, I don't want to reduce it to a checklist, but it's almost like a checklist thing of, okay, how does this apply to this and this, including say racism? Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Exactly. Yep. You know, in the same way you apply this to your marriage and how does this apply to your family and how does this apply to this and that, yeah. those types of things. I've got it. Sarah, what's your thoughts on this vision? Yeah, no, I thought of it in a different way, but I like, I kind of think what Jack said, because it's, um, it's daily for the people who experience it. It is part of just everyday life. So I think for those of us who um, it's not part of our daily life to choose to consider it more because it, I, I guess that highlights our privilege that um, it doesn't, we don't think about it daily. We don't have to. So yeah, I really like that. I think for me, the way I thought about it was um, 
my vision would be for there to be genuine friendships across different races. Mm. I think we talk to each other at church, you know, we're not racist, we'll speak to each other, we'll say hi, or, you know, we're in each other's family groups. But I think when you think about your actual circle of friends, your close circle of friends, your the people you turn to, the people, yeah, I, I think I, I think that breakdown, I think sometimes I think we tend to what's comfortable actually. So I think that's quite telling to actually look at our close circle of friends and do we have people in our inner circle who are of a different race? And I guess I shared that because that's that was, I didn't lean towards that. Um, and I've noticed that, I guess. Maybe you could uh, share a little bit more about your personal experience there. Yeah, I think um, obviously I'm mixed race, so I can kind of float, I guess. But I think growing up, I felt more comfortable with black people. I think there was more perhaps black people that I was around. Um, I felt um, I felt, yeah, more accepted, I guess. Um, yeah, for many different reasons, which maybe we'll get into in a bit more detail. But um, I remember when it came to my wedding day, I, I realized like, well, at least when I was thinking about getting married, I was like, all oh, my bridesmaids are going to be black. Um, and I just thought, like, I started praying to have some white bridesmaids just because I just thought, I don't know. Like, I don't know why, but it'd just be good for diversity, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> Not just for the pictures. But I think that reflected something is that I lean to, I, you know, and obviously I have, I'm, you know, I have lots of white friends, but in terms of who were my inner circle, it was the people I felt comfortable with. And so I think that would be my vision that we could have uh, genuine friendships across races. I love that. That's brilliant. It's um, It ties together with a verse that's been on my heart a lot the last uh, week or two is uh, is First uh, Peter at the end of chapter one. He says, now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart uh, and I think that is one of those dangers in the Christian life that it's easy to, to settle for sincere love. Mm, yeah. And, and I think in general in the church, we really do have sincere love for each other most yeah. of the time. Right. And that cuts across all the races and cultures and, and class system or whatever. I think that's really true. But then if you're really going to love each other deeply from the heart, you've got to enter each other's world and yeah. world of experiences. Mm -hmm. that's a deeper commitment of love yeah yeah, yeah. i love that i find yeah. that a challenge for myself yeah mm -hmm. absolutely well okay so we got some vision okay so what was that second question okay so i'm wondering okay um what would you say is the biggest spiritual lesson god's taught you through all of what's gone on regarding the race issue over the last year or so is there something that stands out that's been important to you personally? Um, did you want to go first? Um, yeah, I can. Um, um, I think for me, it's to carry each other's burdens and, and to choose to engage, I guess. So I think um, uh, I would maybe want to be supportive from afar, but I think realizing that to be an ally, I can't, I have to kind of get my hands dirty. Uh, which means allowing myself to be affected. I think it felt uncomfortable. Mm. It was not nice. It was painful. Um, and this is just from someone listening and hearing and trying to empathize. It's not my actual first-hand experience. Um, 
so I think for for me learning that yeah Jesus wants me to carry each other's burdens which means I have to get involved and I have to suffer like her rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who who mourn and um yeah I guess looking at God's example that he didn't support us from afar you know that he chose to come down chose to be human to walk in our shoes so that we could so he could connect um so I think that's and I'm still working on that learning to just not try to be mm-hmm. yeah supportive from afar but really be an ally and be in the fight uh with my brothers and sisters that's a word that word ally that's come up to be a a, a word that's used more over the last little while yeah do you could you try and define what you feel that means you know for anybody who's not really familiar with it yeah i don't know what i don't know what the actual definition is but i guess how i internalize it what it means to me is like standing side by side like in it with someone um as opposed to cheering them on from the sideline like oh I, i support you and i don't feel like that and i'm sorry that's your experience but actually kind of getting involved you know um uh, explaining to others um, perhaps what their experience may be like. So, for example, um, I know some of my black friends have shared the pressure they feel to be able to help educate everyone else about what their day to day experience is. Mm. Um, but if I could start to empathize and understand, then I can be an ally, give them a break, and I speak on their behalf and say, it's like this. And and so it's like really it's taking on some of the the burden off of them and and that's how i see it side by side i get it. yeah go on jack so psalm 10 verse 18 says you'll hear the cries of the oppressed and the orphans you'll judge in their favor so that mortal men may cause terror no more and um i think to some degree that's the lesson that i learned uh, was to judge in their favor. So I think at times I would hear the cries of the oppressed, but I would come up with various excuses uh, for or explanations of why that could have happened. It wasn't a clear-cut case. I was undecided. That was how I was up until last year, you know. Um, and it wasn't up until Sarah brought up my lack of concern for the disparity between the welfare of minority groups in COVID cases. Because she said, look at how disproportionate this is. And I said, well, you can't really blame it on this or that. We've got to look at the finer details. And she said, I thought you'd say that. And I said, what does that mean? She said, well, you always have some sort of explanation. And that was me not judging in their favor. And throughout history, the you know the the history of minorities in any situation has not been great, you know. And um, we know this on a personal level. If you're the new in class, that's not a fun experience. Mm-hmm. If you've got a certain um, you know type of uh, if you have uh, a certain physical appearance, you know, if you have ginger hair, for instance, there, mm. at some point there was probably a comment or two made that hurt, perhaps, I'm not sure. Um, there was th- certain things said about me growing up. Anything that looks a little bit different will, will become a source of pain probably at some point in your, in your development and we treat each other a bit better. 
when we're older. But that small amount of discrimination for those slight differences multiply, you know, compounded because these are big differences or they're perceived large differences. Um, and, and there's historical roots to them. And so I could connect it both when I really wanted to, I could see the historical roots for them. I could understand it from my personal experience and I could hear it from the stories of millions of people all around me. So I eventually got to a place where the evidence was overwhelming. My own wife was bringing it to my attention. And that's when a switch flipped. And I thought, you know, I, it's not enough for me to hear the cries of the oppressed. I need to judge in their favor as well and to really accept that those things are valid and to validate people's experiences, to believe them mm. and not to come up with explanations uh, for alternatives or, or you know, uh, things like that. So I think um, being an ally is believing what, what people are saying is true. And then also taking action, as Sarah mentioned, um, to do something about that, which I think is, is as equally as important because as Christians, we're called not just to, um, uh, to believe, but to also carry our cross and uh, to, to act out the faith that we have. Um, even if that means suffering on other people's behalfs um, for their sake, that's the, that's our, a premier example we have in Jesus. Yeah. So I think to do anything less than that would be very unchristian. Mm. Wow. Wow. That psalm is scary. I mean, I mean, in a way, I mean, it's, it's awesome, right? But my mm. word, that's, that's really powerful stuff. I need to go back and have a read of that psalm. Wow. Okay. Because I guess you're right. If we think about it, then if he judges in their favor, then he would be judging against us. <laughs> If we are not the oppressed and rather the oppressors, then and if God judges in their favor, then if we're not on their side, then we're on the side that God is opposed to, perhaps. Well, and that's that's the judgment on Sodom. Ultimately, the judgment on Sodom was not about um, the, the homosexual practices or whatever, right? The judgment was on they didn't care about the poor. Right. I think Ezekiel talks about that. Um, mm -hmm that that's the thing it's they didn't care about the marginalized the vulnerable and jesus clearly demonstrated by the way that he lived not just what he taught but what how he lived or in a sense how he lived taught it that he cares and he will stand up for and he will intervene yeah. to, to help the vulnerable yeah yeah mm. terrific I, I love that um that further explanation of the sin of Sodom, as you mentioned in Ezekiel, I mean, when you go and you look at that, it becomes clear that sometimes we've got certain sins that we think are worse and we've accepted those as the really despicable ones, but then the ones that are a bit closer to home and uh, culturally more accepted, uh, we gloss over. And a number of those are brought out in, in the prophets. Um, uh, it's it's great to see a growing awareness of those things for just in myself and in the church so that we can make sure that we're not caught off guard when Jesus comes back and says, what about all these things? You know, how could you miss this? It's right in the Bible. And I think with a closer reading, we can really start to, to see the same things that God does and have the heart that God has. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I, what happened last year was a tragedy, um, but it brought to the surface what was already there and has made us made us face it and we needed it painful yeah. as it is 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a, a lot of people's feelings and I, I'm, I'm great. I'm grateful for it myself because, and, and, and God's timing with these things, police body cam footage, you know, all of that. And I think, um, the sad thing is that the world got there before the church, you know, that the world responded with indignation and outrage and solidarity and uh, compassion. And then in, in the church, we're having to kind of navigate how we respond instead of an immediate reaction of empathy and compassion and, and advocacy, we're having to build you know I, and understandably i guess if we haven't talked about these things and, and fleshed this out but um but i i think if someone wants to say well this is a worldly topic you know and for that reason we shouldn't respond to it i would ask you know well maybe it's not a worldly topic perhaps it's just something that we just failed to respond to and the world got there before us and um, some of the, uh, the the people are critical of the critical race theory, and they're spending a lot of time poking holes in it, or, or you know, attempting to. Um, but I've seen some good questions posed, like, "Well, what if instead of spending the energy on poking holes in the critical race theory, we spent the same energy, the same attention, the same amount of time, actually trying to uh, address the the racial?" inequity in society as in a christian way um, but our failure to do that means the world has had to come up with their own solutions hmm. so that's a that's something that I, I, something that i've seen recently uh, the third question i had on that list was about what insights uh, being a mixed race couple has given you about christianity and race anything along those lines you'd like to Sure. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I learned was how much of a uh, difference, a small difference can make. So when I met Sarah, I thought she was uh, white. Maybe she had a little bit of Spanish in her or Portuguese uh, or something, the D'Souza. And, uh, and, and I, but I, I, I essentially assumed that she was mostly kind of Caucasian. And, um, and then getting to know her, it started to become clear that it actually had a much bigger influence than uh, I would realize. So for her, it was her uh, black heritage and identity uh, was significant and was a big part of who she was. So even though it didn't look like a, a big difference to me, to her, it was uh, her culture, uh, her, uh, her, a bit of her identity, and um, a lot of her experience growing up. Um, so, so that was um, that was eye opening. How, you know, I think we can think these things don't make a big difference, but even a small difference can make a big difference. So. Um, that was that was eye-opening for me. So for me, I'm obviously I'm mixed race, so I'm I'm not fully black or white, um, and I can, and I think the privilege of that is I can generally blend. Um, and it was interesting. I was speaking to a friend. She's black, and she worked in a Jewish care home. And obviously, J Jews have been marginalised, and um, yeah, have been here. You can have 
have been mistreated. But what one of the things that she said was Jewish people can also blend too with the dominant, you know, accepted white you know, race. Whereas she goes, for me, I walk in and I don't have the option of blending. Like it's, you know, I'm black and there are, you know, I can't choose. And I think that really, because I have experienced different things, but what I realized was I can blend though still. I don't, and, and so I, I, again, I guess I just want to acknowledge that um, as my privilege, but I, um, I think initially um, I wanted Jack to engage and he shared a little bit about it. And I think I felt that, um, I felt bothered by his ability just to dismiss it. Um, but then he had a radical repentance, started buying all these books on under, trying to understand racism and reaching out to our black brothers and sisters to ask about their experiences and apologizing um, for just not, um, not, not being racist, but not um, like, I guess, yeah, being an ally or wanting to understand or wanting to, you know, um, and I guess, so I was convicted by that because he went the extra mile and I wasn't even doing that. And I think my issue was pride because I'm mixed race, maybe assuming that I already knew or, you know, I spoke to my, my dad and, you know, he could share his experiences. Um, so I think for me that that's been, I was actually convicted by his, his repentance to really go after it, to understand that challenged me that, um, yeah, to seek to understand more. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Wow. That's quite something. That's quite a, it takes a, a, a quite a degree of of humility and courage to go after that. Yeah. And yeah, I was I was blown away by yeah. It was it was literally a one eighty degree from not really being bothered by buying all these books on it, really trying to understand. Yeah. And was it a specific thing that, that triggered that, or was it more like an accumulation? It was um, it was when she pointed out the disparity in uh, COVID deaths in minority groups, and um, and then I said, uh, "Well, that could be any any reason, any number of factors that could contribute to that." And she said, "I thought you'd say that." And so then I, I said, "What do you mean?" And she said, "Well, you always you never really engage with this stuff," and. Uh, I thought, oh, that's unfair. I thought it was, I was, you know, fairly uh, even uh, fair-minded about these things, you know, giving everything, trying to understand, trying to weigh things up. But until it's kind of in black and white, then why would I necessarily believe that this is the explanation for that? But when she said that, and I kind of could see how throughout my whole life, I hadn't really believed, you know, I hadn't um, judged in favor of the oppressed, as we talked about in Psalm uh, 10, uh, 13, I believe it was, um, I got, you know, God hears the oppressed and he believes them. And throughout my life, I had always sought another explanation. So that w w just when I looked at the experiences at the kind of like, uh, all, all the evidence throughout the course of my life and, and reevaluated and said, what if I've been judging this all wrong? And in fact, I should have seen this a long time ago. Um, cause there was part of me that, that, really felt felt for um because I, I would listen to these martin luther king jr tapes growing up uh his autobiography his biography on a book on a book on tape when i was a young kid and i really enjoyed uh listening to him speak and hearing him stand up for people and uh and that was very inspiring to me 
And, but then I just thought, well, the, the, um, you know, uh, civil rights movement is, is done. <laughs> and so I don't really like, there's no real opportunity or I don't need to engage in these things, but then realizing that it's far from over because it's really just a matter of, um, kind of, a, a, I think it's a cultural growth that's happening over time and it's, it's not finished yet. And there's a part I can play and there's a part we can play. And, uh, you know, if we want to look back on our lives from the perspective of history and think, you know, just like Martin Luther King or William Wilberforce or any number of people who have who have stepped up to the moment that they find themselves in in history to do something um, on behalf of others, you know, then um, then I've got to do something about that now, you know, and this is our opportunity. Yeah, yeah, the time is right. Mm-hmm. Super. Okay. Well, can I ask you a different question? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Fantastic. We're getting through this. So this is probably more for you, Sarah, I think. But um, this came up uh, in my mind because I was talking to Andy Boachi, I think you know, about racism issues and what he thought needed to be heard more. And one of the points he made was he thought it, we needed to hear more of the experiences of black women not just perhaps the experiences, but also perspectives or just what, you know, just needed to hear more from black women, uh, I think in the church, but maybe even beyond. Um, so I just thought I'd ask you about your perspectives, you know, as a, I mean, mixed race, but, and as you say, you can kind of, you can kind of fit in um, with more than one culture, but as someone with a better understanding of black women's issues than I would have, or most people would have, I wondered if you had a particular um, a particular thought as to what contribution black women can make to this whole conversation about racism. Yeah, I think, uh, um, again, I'll give my perspective is limited from my stance, but I think speaking to a lot of my black friends, I think it's helped me understand even more. Um, I think it's it's a it's a matter of intersectionality right it's the women uh, you know already have a difficult time in in various settings um whether it's the workplace or being have an influence and then being black it makes it doubly difficult um to have that um and i think one of the ways that it really connected with me once i started to try to understand their experiences was particularly the pressures that society places on women with regards to um, beauty standards or what is desirable. Um, and it was then when I was started to listen to some of my friends realizing that they grew up not seeing themselves as um, what was classified as desirable or what the beauty standards were and how, how difficult that is growing up, not seeing yourself in books or on TV or in magazines or, models or whatever and it's interesting because I felt like I could connect with that a little bit like I remember feeling um like amongst yeah growing up my hair is really thick and frizzy naturally and I remember being in my school all my white friends had their little ponytails these really cute blonde ponytails and mine was like really thick and bushy and not cute and I used to do gymnastics and the mums were trying to braid my hair and they were like 
oh, wow, you've got a lot of hair or this is just really difficult. They'd make these comments which stuck with me as a young girl. Like I felt like I wasn't desirable, like, oh, this wasn't beautiful. Um, and if I felt like that, you know, I, as I started to listen to these stories, I was kind of like, wow, that, you know, that's tough. And so I guess I share that because I think, I think black women are incredibly strong. Like, I think if you, if that's, and this is what we discussed, like if that's kind of, you've had to, yeah, you don't see yourself represented, but you have to kind of get your security from somewhere, believe you matter, believe you can make a difference, believe, you know, all these things I think, wow, like, they're incredibly strong. And I think we've got a lot to learn. If, we, if you've never had to, if you've always seen yourself represented, you haven't had to dig deep in a way that they have had to, um, to just to make it and to do great things um, in society. So I think there's a lot to learn from them, uh, particularly, yeah, I think, I think incredibly strong is what I think. And I would just add to that in Romans five, it talks about um, suffering produces character and character of hope, right? Um, and so I, I think the intersectionality that Sarah talked about and the character that's produced there and all the wisdom, I think that comes from navigating that yeah. and from not listening to these voice, you know, the, the uh, work to not listen to the voices of the world and these yeah. these different standards and expectations and to find your validation in God and to um, develop this deep personal spiritual wellspring of security and life and love is is uh, what we all need and they can share that with us mm. and so I think um, I, that's that's what I would perceive as the unique contribution that black women could bring to the church or that I think they could teach us a lot mm. uh, about how to walk closely and deeply with God. Mm. Well, that's, that's really quite profound. That's something I'd like to explore more. Uh, we, have to, we have to come back to that another time or, or perhaps another conversation with some people, but I hadn't expected that reply exactly. And I thought, and, and that is, that's, that's profound and it is moving and, and so valuable so valuable we we need to to learn how what that means to to how in a sense have to forge your own identity without a role model or without something visible and then how to develop strength and perseverance and especially as a christian to retain a godliness through that when you've had to do that in a sense against the tide i suppose or that's um there's a lot in that Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing, where you're allowing more voices to be heard in the, in the church. And I know that um, that that's going to be a, a so, such a valid, valuable contribution um, as we start to. And this is one of the this is one of my hopes for, as you mentioned in question one, what's some of your hopes for this uh, for um, racial uh, harmony and equity? And I think equity ultimately that everybody can be uh, valued and uh, ultimately that we can reflect the first Corinthians 12 view of the church that we're a body and that all these parts have something to play and I think if um, if black women are marginalized not just in the world but in the church we are missing such a important contribution that should be 
you know, working to build us all up, mm. uh, but we're just not benefiting benefiting as much as we could from. Wow, very much so. Fantastic. Well, um, one last question, if you have time, and if Leon can handle it. If I so good. All right. <laughs> what do you think, buddy? One more. One more, Leon. He's happy with it. Okay. Um, so, and, and this comes from a, a lot of my own feeling and experience and trying to figure out what it is in me that sometimes is reluctant to engage with uh, conversations that are uncomfortable, or that kind of thing. So I wondered if you had any advice, any tips, any perspectives for uh, white people, perhaps especially men, but not necessarily, not exclusively. I'm talking about myself here. So have you got any tips for me? I suppose is really the question here. Uh, how to listen to the experiences of black Christians, like what is it that helps that to be meaningful and helpful, perhaps for both people involved in the conversation? Yeah, I think the tough thing is, I think our egos can get involved. Um, and we can start taking it personally, for whatever reason, I think if somebody says this is my problem, men are not hardwired to empathize, they're kind of thinking like, what? Well, what's your problem? And if I can fix it for you, then I don't need to listen to you. Right. You know, if I can give you an explanation for why that happened or tell you how to handle that differently next time, then I don't need to listen to your experience. And so I would just stay away from the kind of thing, the types of responses that are going to shut down the conversation, which would be things like saying, but did they mean it that way? Mm. Or are you sure you interpreted that right? Or what if, if you had done this, maybe you were, I was just hearing a story today of one of my coworkers who was coming from his office that he, he was wearing green, the cop, a uh, green tracksuit. The cops pushed him up against the Changlin link fence. And, um, and then they got a radio call in that said the suspect was wearing a black, uh, black tracksuit. And, and, and they just assumed since, you know, he was black, that it was the right suspect without the description matching the color of the tattoo. So anyway, you know, then I could, I could think, well, maybe if you had been more, you know, vocal at the beginning or asked the question more direct, but then I'm like, what am I thinking? You know, I just need to listen and understand and believe and my first response should not be think because that's never happened to me, not even close, you know? And, and so just the quickness that I have to just get, <laughs> into this kind of defensive, uh, I think it's some sort of e ego defense mechanism. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but um, you know, just remember, just, I think that would be my advice. It's just to, just to, to set that aside and listen. Yeah, yeah, so avoiding, okay. So being alert to the, the sense in myself, you're talking about if it's me, you know, like, okay, I'm feeling defensive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, okay. That's a sign for me to keep quiet for a bit longer here and listen more or, you know, but to, to recognize that in myself. And I think the first, what helps me is I'll stay like that until I vocalize my support. And so until I say, oh, that stinks. Like, I'm sorry that happened. Sometimes it doesn't feel natural for me to say, because I just don't generally communicate on that level. That's not, 
I don't usually just uh, relate, relate and empathize. I'm generally trying to find a solution or explain something. So if I can do that, then I can start to feel more empathetic. And then I, then that can, we can take that conversation further because, you know, for my friend at work, he's even waiting. Is he going to, how's he going to respond to this? So when I respond with empathy, that conversation can go deeper. So even if I'm in that moment, thinking about a lot of different things, deciding I'm going to empathize, this conversation goes deeper and my heart goes there with it. Mm. Um, and that conversation came after he made a comment. Uh, it wasn't directly connected, but the, but a couple of days ago, he made a comment. He said, life is like a box of chocolates. Nobody likes the black ones. <laughs> and uh, right. so I followed up with him today about that. And I was like, that, you know, was that coming from a place? Was that coming from an experience? And, um, and so it's been good. We've been able to have these conversations. And, and my hope is that he can see me as a person who cares mm -hmm. and wants to hear and uh, wants to make a difference even in the workplace in any way he can. So um, but that's so, a good testimony to, to the attitude you're talking about, because you could have written off that comment as meaning nothing, yeah. or you could have decided it was too sensitive an area to go to, mm -hmm. or any number of other reasons you know really excuses but reasons to not um not come back to him but the fact you did it, that's got to be something that hopefully tells him you care yeah. and who knows where that goes in other ways that could bless him and and make a difference yeah absolutely fantastic sarah do you have any thoughts on this issue um, I think, I think, um, I guess not being entitled uh, as well as we seek to understand, like not being entitled to um, black people having to explain their experience again and again, a lot of them are tired, you know, it's tiring to do that. To, um, so I think whilst yes, seeking to understand, but also it's, yeah, not feeling entitled to them explaining. Actually, we need to educate ourselves um, and take ownership of that. And mm, that's something that I have been learning through all of this. Like, okay, like rather than they're just tired. And so I asked, I asked one of my friends, "What? Where's a good place for me to start?" And she recommended the book um, "Why I Why I Hate Talking to White People About Race." Mm. Um, so I, I got that and I started that. Um, but I think. Yeah, I think it's just, again, taking the pressure of while seeking to understand us also going out of our own way to educate ourselves so that we can come into the conversation with not expecting just to be fed, but with something. Um, I think that would probably go a long way. That's well. yeah. Right. So take your own initiative. Don't wait for people to come to you and don't think you have to make people talk about it or that that's the only way you're going to learn. But look for other ways to learn. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so you're bringing something already to the conversation if you do have the conversation. Not that you're saying, oh, I've, I've read a book, now I understand. Yeah. Uh, but more, I have some context with the paths within which then to ask better questions. Yeah, yeah. And I think that probably would go a long way if you've already shown, look, I'm trying to understand this. This is what yeah. I've read. Is this is this your experience? Is it different? Or how does it, it just shows, I think it's it's sincere. It's it, You've gone out of your way, I guess. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you feel like you want to make sure you get across? Um, anything we didn't cover? Anything that's on your own heart, for that matter, 
that you think is important and valuable right now? Anything else? I guess um, I've want to just put a disclaimer out there. I feel like I'm very much still in the process of figuring out what this looks like for me to engage meaningfully. Um, because, you know, the history of racism in our Western culture is systemic and, and deep and, uh, and the negative consequences are, uh, you know, vast. And so figuring out how can I engage with those in a meaningful way, um, in a practical way, that's going to have an impact and be helpful. Um, it's kind of the place that I'm at now. Um, so, that, so I don't want to communicate that, uh, you know, uh, uh, this, I'm at some end point or I've figured it out. And I think uh, hopefully that's where a place that we're all, I think to some degree thinking, what can we do to really help the world heal in this area is a good question to ask. Yeah, and I would just would say thank you, I guess, for um, creating the space. And I think, you know, it, it's kind of died down a little bit in terms of the media and kind of what everyone's talking about. But I think it's these ongoing conversations that shows our black brothers and sisters that, OK, we we're not just it's not a fad, you know, because this is their daily experience because mm -hmm. so much of it is systemic still. So it's I think um, I guess even, and I'm still learning too. I think it's um, it's ongoing conversations. It's not I've had one conversation and now it's done. But perhaps even asking, you know, ask our black brothers and sisters, how can I stay connected to what this is like for you? Like, you know, would it? Because I, I don't know if you'd like want to ask questions every, you know, every few months or whether that's appropriate. I don't know, but I think it's being willing to learn with them. We, you know, we and showing that interest. Um, I think will help help us go. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Super. Thanks very much. Um, Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And and I I I just I am really grateful to you both. I mean, I honestly just just you know I I I can't tell you how for me something like this is very refreshing. Yeah. It, it really helps me because it helps me on an issue. It helps me personally thinking about the racism issue. It helps me be better equipped to help other people. Um, and it's refreshing on a personal level in the sense that I'm, I'm learning from you and I'm, I'm, I'm discovering new things and I value who you are and what you're bringing to the kingdom and currently to the Birmingham church. I, I, I you know, we can't underestimate the significance of the, of the thinking that we all do. And you, you've done a lot of thinking and that thinking gives you a, a, a foundation something solid on which to explore and hopefully as you say bring healing i mean bringing healing i think the kingdom in so many ways if you could bring it down to one word it's about healing right on, on lots of areas right mm -hmm. um and and that's the vision you know one, one of the verses that means a lot to me in all this is is the revelation 7 vision of um the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb, wearing white robes, holding palm branches, crying out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God and salvation, and I think in that broadest sense of, of healing, right? That's yeah. really kind of what it's talking about there, I think. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb, the healing of the nations as it talks about in Isaiah yeah. and in Revelation. And 
there's no chance that's going to happen unless we're talking and learning from each other. But if we do, and that's in Revelation 22 at the very end, the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. So I think the story is wrapped up by anything less. And to see even how Christianity has played a role in, you know, there would probably be not not be such a focus on um, the dignity and value of individual human beings if it wasn't for Jesus you know, and his contribution to Western thought 2,000 years ago. Uh, we wouldn't be talking about these things now, but it seems like God's kingdom has steadily been progressing and advancing and changing even culture to bring, you know, society to a place that is a bit closer, perhaps, to Revelation 22 and Revelation 7, uh, but won't get there fully until, until, um, until God brings it about. But we can do a part. Well, we've all got a part to play and it's all very valuable. Yeah. Well, um, shall I pray? Is that all right if I pray for us all? And then um, hopefully Leon can find uh, some yeah, peace. Yeah, pray for him to just uh, get some yeah, uh, shit out here. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. Okay, let's pray. Thanks ever so much, Jack and Sarah. I really appreciate the time you put aside and uh, taking care of baby Leon at the same time. What's your reaction to what you heard? What stood out to you? What was meaningful to you? What might you do a little differently now that you've heard some of the things that Jack and Sarah had to say? Uh, feel free to leave a comment uh, wherever you hear or see this recording. And if you've got any questions you'd like to send my way or any suggestions for future interviews or classes or things to, in to investigate, then please drop me a line, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Thanks very much. Take care and God bless.